This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. They were a very good team, uh, very good coach, capable of um, doing what he did, change the system during the game, build it three, build it four, creating us uh, difficulties. And I think in the modern Premier League, sometimes people, when the top teams, let's say that, have a difficult match, the tendency is to say that A, B or C didn't play very, very well. I believe that is more fair to say that the teams, I don't like to say smaller, but the teams with less history, let's, let's say that, and less status, if you want to say that, they're getting better and better and better. And uh, Graham is, is, is a very good coach. Lots of good players and they create us lots of, uh, of difficulties, but great reaction after after their equalize, we hit the post twice, we scored the goal and after that was a question to to defend well and to manage the game like we didn't against West Ham, for example. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. A typically overjoyed Jose Mourinho speaking after his Tottenham side beat Brighton to move up to second in the table. Yes, I said second in the table, but it is early days. Hey, good Monday evening to you. Welcome to Monday evening. It's me, Ross. This is Off The Ball. Uh, let me introduce the guys. I've got Craig Wilkie here. Hello, Craig. Good evening, Ross. Good evening, everybody. Des Corkill also joins us. Hello, Des. Looking forward to the football crisis club. Liverpool, top of the league. And Malaysia Cup is back. <laughs> uh, just a snippet of what you can expect from Des this evening. Uh, Arvin Sidhu is also here. Hello, Arvin. Hello, everyone. Good to be on. Uh, tweet at BFM Radio. Also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Coming up then, a, a preview of the midweek Champions League, Europa League. There's still two more Premier League games to go. But as usual, on a Monday, we start with a weekend review. And that game at Old Trafford. Let's, let's get that out of the way then, shall we? Um, Man United nil. Arsenal won. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang ends a run of five games without a goal. Uh, I'll come to you first, Craig Wilkie. Arsenal were very good. They were well worth their win. I thought Thomas Partey ran that midfield, didn't he? Well, we know who didn't run that midfield, don't we? And that's Paul Pogba. Um, <laughs> Ars- Arsenal, I'm not sure if I go far to say they were very good. They were, they were quite good. They were the better team on the night. Manchester United just didn't really turn up, which was very strange given the form that they've been in in the last couple of weeks, especially in the Champions League. Just It seems to happen, though, almost every time, just as you start to think that Solskjaer is getting things together, he's figuring out a system, how he wants to play, he's got the players in good form, and then all of a sudden they come up with a performance like that. I think it's the performance. How many, be, how many, corners, do you, how many corners do you reckon Norway has? Because we... Keep turning a corner here every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's always another corner just around the corner. That's just the thing, around the corner. <laughs> I don't think there's any great shame in losing to Arsenal at this stage. They're definitely improving markedly under Arteta. And a good win for them away against one of the big six, which perhaps they've struggled with a little bit of late. But again, the performance levels and the consistency, that's what you've got to look at. And as a manager, we've talked before about his team selections and it seemed as though he had it figured out with five at the back and playing Fernandes in the right role, making sure that he's the creative talisman. I thought he was very quiet and you can, show, you can see how reliant Manchester United have become on him. And also one, one concern I have about Manchester United playing with a the, with the back four is that for me, Juan Bissaka and Shaw are not good enough going forward to really supply that threat from out wide. You need, you need that to come further up the pitch with Manchester United these days. And so that blunted their attack a little bit. And then they just looked, looked kind of disjointed after that. And therefore, Arsenal, in the end, relatively comfortable. I think what, what annoys most Manchester United fans who, who watched the game, Des Corkill, was the fact that anybody, a layman, would, could have just seen that game and after six minutes gone, oh, Paul Pogba, he's not having a good one. And then you go, okay, Second half, Paul Pogba's moved positions. Oh, he's even worse. <laughs> and then it just carried on. So uh, I don't know. I, you're going you're gonna to jump to Ole's defense, are you? 
Now, firstly, I'm going to bemoan the two of the so-called big six serving up this kind of dross and thinking that they are worth uh, billions of dollars on television. They're in the entertainment business. I have been saying this uh, ad nauseum over a number of years. And if they think they are worth billions of dollars with that kind of garbage, they are not. Onto the football itself. Paul Pogba, for the last three years, we've been moaning the fact that he has not turned it on for Manchester United. This correspondent in particular says somebody like Pogba should be able to take games like this through the scruff of the neck, particularly when he's surrounded by St. Marcus Rashford and the quality of Bruno Fernandes and protected by Scott McTominay and Fred. He should be pulling the strings. The fact he isn't is a testament against him. It's also a testament to how well Arsenal are set up against uh, against any team these days. Uh, defensively, yeah. they are very strong. They're difficult to break down. But I argue again, if you are thinking that you are worth billions of dollars, you've got to do a damn sight more than just be competent defensively. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, I thought Gabriel put in a really good shift for, for Arsenal. Now, Arvin, with, with Arsenal, there seems to be a clear plan with Mikel Arteta. Um, I struggle to see what, what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's grand plan is. I don't think there isn't even a settled starting eleven. Uh, as a Leeds United fan, looking at the big picture, do you think the clock is ticking? It is. And for me, it's a matter of the perception and the standard you set. Ole came out after the game. And I know Des will, will, will never advocate for a sacking of a manager. And I get it. I, I'm completely on the boat. You give a manager the resources. You give the manager the time to be able to perform his job pro properly. Right? Now, Ole, 100 games. He's lost 25 of them. He's got a worse record than Jose Mourinho. He comes out after the game last night and he says to the press, it's okay. Last season, it took us 10 games to get to our third win. We are only in our sixth game right now. It's okay. You're Manchester United. You're not Cardiff City anymore, Ole. I'm sorry, but you're not. His limitations are, are, are coming out and it's, it's being very evident on, on that showing. He's been given the players and the players are quality players. But if you cannot set your team out to perform better than they did last night, the buck stops with you. And we can talk about the PSG win and the Leipzig win, but it's always going to be one step forward, two steps back. Is that the way that Manchester United want to go? No. So for me, Arsenal have a plan. They know the direction that they're going. They're the best defensive team in the league right now. Um, Arteta has figured out I need to sort this out before I can let them go and attack and score. And he knows what he needs to do. With Ole, you don't. And, they, and I'm not surprised that on Twitter is hashtag Ole right now trending Ole out because it's, it stops with him. The buck stops with him. And I don't know how long more the, the owners are going to put up with this one, to be honest. Is that Paul Abdul's song? One step forward, two steps back. I'm sure it was. <laughs> but listen, you've got to look at the players. You've got to look at the yeah. players. Pogba, Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford, Mason Greenwood as four of your front five, and you hardly produce a shot on goal. But then, that, but then that, that, you, you don't change the system as a manager, which is your job, right? Or, or, you've, got, or you've, got, you've got, yeah, you've got, you've got Donny van der Beek who performed well in midweek. Why isn't he starting? You've got Cavani that's come on and looked dangerous in the last game. Why isn't he given a chance? If you know something is not right, work it. And we cannot just look at Ole and say, oh, the players haven't done this. For 100 games, your loss ratio is 25% at Manchester United. You lose one in four. So for me, it's, it, it will, it, it, unfortunately, in this day and age, the players will never get sacked. They will never, uh, they'll probably want to. Therein lies a the problem, Marvin. Therein yeah. lies the problem. Yes. Yeah. That lies yeah. the problem. But it's just, I feel his limitations and his standards are not at the Manchester United level. This is not Cardiff. This is not Mulder. This is Manchester United. All right. We're, we're, we're going to revisit that one. Let's move on with the weekend's football. Liverpool have had a difficult start to the season, but having said all that, they win the games they're supposed to win, uh, as difficult as, as they are, and uh, they find themselves top of the pile after the weekend. Diego Jota is becoming a, a bit of a, a goal machine here, Craig Wilkie. That's well, a very astute buy, wasn't he? It's starting to look like it. As they said, crisis club, top of the league. You know, <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not a bad crisis to have. And you do have to give Klopp and that squad so much credit for the way they've dealt with some of the adversity that's come their way this season, particularly in the aftermath of the derby. We spoke about that before and the injuries that they picked up and all the fallout from that game and the way they've just got on with their business. And 
not been playing particularly well. I think even from the very start of the season, you go right back to that first game against Leeds and Liverpool have looked a little bit shaky, especially defensively. But that mentality, people have spoken about it a lot, that mentality of just getting on with your job, getting the business done, coming, coming away with results. And we saw that again at the weekend. I don't think it was a fantastic performance, but they got over the line. And Jota, as you mentioned, might just turn out to be the buy of the summer. Yeah. It was interesting that Klopp came out after the game and said, I knew I was getting a really good player. Obviously, someone who's versatile. He can play all the way across the front, front three. He's, he's still young. He's still learning the game. But Klopp said himself that what he's seen so far in training and in the games that he's played thus far, he's even better than he imagined. So if you think about the environment that he's come into, the sort of quality of player that he's playing alongside, having Klopp there to guide him, then it's a really, really bright future that we're looking at for him. And I also want to mention Shakiri because for me, he's a player who's been slightly underused in his time at the club. Almost every time he's had an opportunity, he's taken it. And he provides that creative spark, which... That Liverpool midfield isn't always renowned for, certainly mm. after Coutinho left. And it was a magnificent pass for the winner. Just the, the vision and the, the weight on the pass was, was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, Liverpool still got enough, enough strength in that squad to hopefully carry them through these difficult few months coming up. And good position to be in, in the current crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, a debut in defence for young Nathaniel uh, Phillips. Whose dad, Jimmy Phillips, I actually remember, <laughs> who was a fullback for Bolton, actually played against Liverpool. Um, all, all eyes on, on that defense, Des Colkill, because, you know, uh, much talked about absentees. That's going to have to carry on for maybe uh, one or two more weeks, but they looked all right, didn't they? They looked terrific. Uh, and they, uh, obviously, they will miss Virgil van Dijk. Obviously, they'll miss Fabinho because they are world class players. But uh, Philip stepped in alongside Joe Gomez. Gomez is possibly the one who's going through one or two shaky moments at, yeah. at the moment. It was but his the mistake. Midfield. Jordan Henderson was immense again for Liverpool. He's the driving force and he's the one who, who pushed them forward. I do have to mention, though, that um, there were four penalties given in the Premier League this weekend that were at best soft. And yeah. Well, so the, the, the laws, so, the laws will say that Salah was touched on the back of his calf well and done, he's gone yeah. down. But it's a it's it's a soft penalty. Uh, same in the in the Everton uh, penalty against Newcastle. Same with Harry Kane against Brighton. These are penalties which are just soft. Same with Pogba's actually. Although he's caught the foot, there's zero intention. The player's going away, and these soft penalties are deciding games. And and normally I'm 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 there to have a go at VAR. Uh, this time I'm, I'm I'm saying the laws of the game where they say a touch in the penalty area is a penalty is just a crap law. Well, said, none of those were penalties when we were growing up, were they? No, no. never, ne never in a million years. None no. of them, none of those four would have been given. Yeah, no, Nobby Styles would be turning in his grave. Seriously, uh, R.I.P. Nobby Styles. But all right, um, West Ham, uh, Arvin Sidhu went to Anfield without Mikel Antonio. Um, they played Haller up front. I thought they gave a good account for themselves, even took the lead, had the cheekiness to take the lead at Anfield, for goodness sake. <laughs> um, they, they looked all right. Uh, you can actually see a pla the plan that Moyes is trying to put forward for West Ham, right? Yeah. Um, Pablo Fornals with the goal. They've got exciting side, but Rama coming off the bench, he will slowly move into the team. And then Jared Bowen always gives you a shift on the right. But it's just, it's, it's evident of how much this team depends on Mikel Antonio. Because if Mikel Antonio played on that day, he would have bullied that Liverpool defence. He would have bullied them in the middle. And with Sebastian Haller, and I was watching this the other day, and I'm thinking to myself, is Sebastian Haller the same player? Is he, Joe Linton and Wesley, all the same people? Because they, they all look the same. They all play the same. They hardly give you anything up front. And they've spent a lot of money on him. So... Players like Sebastian Haller, when you're given an opportunity like this, you're not in the squad, you have to go in and take the mantle and deliver. I thought, I thought the rest of the squad looked okay, but Haller just didn't offer anything up front. Uh, and Declan Rice, again, some really vital interceptions. I thought he played well on the, on the day. So West Ham, uh, I put my hands up. I, I honestly thought um, Moyes would have been gone by, by December this year, but they've come through a tough patch and they've made it through by consolidating at the back. So it bodes well, bodes well for, the, for the next couple of months. Yeah, gutsy performance from Moises West Ham. What is it now for Liverpool? 63 unbeaten at home? It's the yeah. Bob Paisley days, isn't it, Des? It is the late 70s, early 80s, where, where you believed that Liverpool would 
uh, go out and steamroller the opposition. But there was a vulnerability about that team as well, occasionally, once every 50 games. There is a vulnerability about Jurgen Klopp. I think this is going to be a really fun league championship or, or Premier League title race because there's several teams. We're going to talk about Tottenham. We're going to talk about Man City. Um, or they're going to come into it. And we're going to talk about Chelsea. This could be good Football. I just wish all teams tried to play football. And I would argue West Ham did not. I argue West Ham came to put nine men behind the ball and then break quickly if they got the chance. But their main objective was not to lose that game. It wasn't to go and try and win it. I've said this for season after season after season. It's dirge and it's not worth the millions. All right. We're going to break right there. Personally, I think football should be in lockdown as well. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, we're short break. Back right after this. Where's the try? And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Well, the rules have been clarified and, and they've looked to, to balance things fair, in a fairer fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us this Monday evening. Craig Wilkie, Des Corkill and Arvin Sidhu here joining me to look back at the weekend's EPL. Uh, we saw Chelsea, a very impressive Chelsea, now adding goals to their game. They won 3-0 away at Burnley. It was a, another fine performance, Craig Wilkie, from Hakim Ziyech. Uh, after, what, no goals in three? He's now got two in two. He's He's... Running the show almost. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack with this Chelsea side. You mentioned adding goals. I think more significantly is adding clean sheets. We go back just, just a few weeks to that Southampton game where they looked to be cruising and then they let Saints back into it with a real defensive collapse and conceding three goals. And ever since then, and there were questions asked about the players. You know, we've had that debate already this evening about players versus manager. There was asked questions asked of those players individually about whether they were doing their jobs properly and also about Lampard. You know, could he coach a side defensively? Could he set them up tactically to make sure that they were solid and, and tough to beat tight at the back? And in the last couple of games, you've got to say that he has done that. You know, it was, he, got a, he got a clean sheet at Old Trafford. He's had a clean sheet in the Champions League. Now he's got another one, okay, against Burnley, who really didn't offer very much going forward. But nonetheless, that's the sort of momentum and that's the sort of confidence that defences need. And Let's not forget that a new goalkeeper has come in behind them who looks a lot steadier. And that's obviously going to help your back four and make sure that you're, you're keeping things tight. But yeah, Chelsea, we also talked a lot about you know, the, the amount of money that they spent in the summer, all these new signings coming in. How would they adapt to the English game? How would they integrate into that squad? And we, we always have a tendency, don't we, to, to rush to judgment and, and make very quick assessments of, of all these players. And I think you've got to say that they've, they've done pretty well overall. There was a few question marks maybe in the first two or three games, but the likes of Werner has, has really answered them, them now. And I, I think Chelsea are, are looking in a good position where they are at the moment. And that team and that squad is going to get better over the course of the season. Mm. They look well-placed in terms of the depth of that squad. They look well-placed if they do pick up a few injuries or when it gets to that Christmas period and there's games every two or three days, even as there almost is right now they look better placed to handle that than perhaps some of the other big sides. So quite exciting right now if you're a Chelsea fan, I would say. Yeah, all, all six key summer signings, that your Havertz, your Chilwells, your Mendy, Silva, ZH, all, all played for Chelsea. Um, Pulisic pulled up uh, in the warm-up. I think he tweaked his hamstring. But Burnley at the moment, they're in the midst of a £200 million takeover from an Egyptian businessman. Um, £200 million wouldn't even cover those players I mentioned before. Kai Havertz, Ben Chilwell, Edward Mendy, Thiago Silva. Uh, maybe just about cover that and bench. Buys you Chelsea's bench. Huh? Uh, it's, uh, I, for, I don't know. It's a good price for a football club. But do, do you get the feeling Burnley with Sean Dyche, he's pretty much done all he can for that club. I know you're not a big fan, Des, because I, I know, you know you're going to say they don't entertain and stuff. But... You're little Burnley. You're you're in the Premier League, uh, in survival, or, or you know that's got to be your main priority, be above anything else. Not if I'm giving you 150 million quid. It's not. I expect you to look after me. I expect you to entertain. I expect uh, Sean Dyche. All he's done is the big thing with uh, Burnley over the last eight years is they've been able to defend well. 
and occasionally lump the ball up to the big striker who'll bully the opposition. And so they've lived on that for eight, eight, eight years. Now they're not defending well. Even Nick Pope, I like Nick Pope. He's let in a, a, a strange goal at, at, uh, at his yeah. near post. They've let in a goal direct from a corner kick. Zuma bullies Burnley's defence. If they stop doing the things that Sean Dyche made them good at, then it, it already is good riddance from me because they have gone out to try and play they don't go out to try and win games of football and now they can't defend either be delighted to see them go down I know I should be supporting the smaller clubs but if they don't try to entertain get good good riddance I'm paying too much money to watch you and I ain't gonna uh, stand for it anymore yeah I'm sorry Bernie fans I tried but no sympathy zero <laughs> sympathy from from the Cork Hill <laughs> let them come and play let them try and play football let them try and attack for a change Okay. This is them at home. You, are you listening, Sean Dyche? Are you actually listening? All right, let's move on. Uh, Southampton 3, uh, sorry, Aston Villa 3, Southampton 4. Sounds like a great game. Sounds like a close game, Arvin Sidhu. But actually, in reality, it was over because the Saints went, what? They were 3-0 up at halftime. Then they went 4 up before it all started to... Uh, Villa tried to get a goal here and there, two in injury time. But... James Ward-Prowse for this Hassan Huttle side. His 26th birthday. He's, he's an unsung hero, isn't he? With a brace, captain's armband. He is. And such quality from the dead ball, dead ball situation. I mean, one assist, two goals. Uh, it was like almost evident that if you foul a Southampton player at that particular part of the, the pitch, Ward-Prowse is going to put it in. And he put two, two absolutely unstoppable free kicks into, into the net. But Hassan Huttle has done really, really well for them, Ross. I mean, I was looking at the stats. I think they are only third behind Liverpool and Man City in terms of uh, wins that they've had in the calendar year. So it shows that the man knows what he's doing. He's getting wins under the belt for Southampton. As, as, as much as we talk about James Ward-Prowse and the birthday boy and all that, but that finish from Danny Ings, my God. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, Top I mean, corner. Yeah, if it was a Mohamed Salah, it was back in Thierry Henry's days, we would be talking about, oh, goal of the month, potentially goal of the season. That finish and that technique that yeah. Danny Ings has to be able to put that in that space of the of the net was unstoppable. And really, it's so good to see Danny Ings after all the injuries that he's had to have a consistent run. And he plays close to 80, 85 minutes. Unfortunately, he had a little knock on, on the game last night. So good things for Southampton. But the late catch-up, I just think that they just kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit loud and let Grealish run the show a little bit on the other side. Well, they started with four wins out of four, but in their last two games, it's been two losses and they've shipped seven goals, Craig Wilkie. Uh, should Dean Smith and Villa be worried again? Is it going to be a repeat of last season again? I don't know how worried they should be just yet, but sometimes when you come back down to earth, you come back down quickly and with a, with a bit of a bump. Uh, just to go back to the Ward-Prowse goals, the last time I saw two free kicks like that in such close succession, so sublime, was Lee Griffiths against uh, England at Hampden ah. Park a few years ago. You might, you might, recall, you might recall those. No, uh, funny was, that. No? Only no, you think... can recall that one. Yeah, yeah, it's, well, it's, we, we have to hang on to those sorts of memories in Scotland. Uh, but yeah, Villa, well, I mean, everybody was getting a little bit excited about them early on in the season, weren't they, after those, those four wins? And, and to be fair, they were playing some excellent football of the kind that, that Des likes and might even pay us, well, he wouldn't pay us £15 pay-per-view for, but uh, <laughs> we <we'd> certainly <laughs> admire, the, admire the approach. And in such a strange season as we've witnessed so far, I think we're still waiting for a lot of teams to just find their level right now. I mean, you look at the league table, and I think there's something like four or five points separating maybe second Spurs all the way down to about 12th or 13th. And mm -hmm. that, that's how tight the league is. And as you're down there at the bottom... I think we'll, we'll come on to talk about some of these other teams later, but I think Sheffield United will be okay. And so there's a few clubs who are really struggling already and might want to be quite worried about the position that they're in. And I wouldn't put Villa in that, in that vein right now. I think they have enough quality. When you look at the likes of Grealish, when you look, look at the likes of Barkley, they will score enough goals and they will pick up enough points, enough wins over the course of the season that I expect them to be safe. All right. A uh, good win for Hassan Huttle and, and uh, Southampton. Uh, just like Aston Villa, Everton went into the weekend, went into their match, knowing that a win would be enough to take them top. But just like Aston Villa, Everton have slumped to a couple of losses. Uh, I know, Des, you've pointed out that this Everton side have a really good starting eleven, And from that starting eleven, we were missing James Rodriguez and Richarlison. 
and you take that out of any any side, and that's going to hurt you, right? Yeah, and you also had a, a dodgy call for the first. For the first it was, goal. wasn't it's, it? Um, oh gosh, yeah. Is the contact? Yes. Is it a penalty? Oh, gee, not. It, it just takes. It sucks the energy out of the game. You can't touch. You can't move. You can't do anything. And that changed the game. The first goal absolutely changed. It gives a uh, Newcastle, who are functionally uh, marginally better than last year. I, I like. I like the uh, the movement that they've got up, up front. Uh, a little bit like Aston Villa. They're trying to play a little bit more. They're trying to win games, and it makes a difference. And uh, the second goal was thrilling, wasn't it? Absolutely thrilling. Made in Bournemouth. Scored in Newcastle. Hey, uh, it was yeah. Matt Ritchie who spun away. And uh, it's, it, it was a cracking goal. Everton, gosh, it, I, I think, I know they'll be okay. Uh, it, this is a, a big defeat for them. Um, but you, as you say, you take away Richarlison and Maxi, uh, no, Maxi Rodriguez, James uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Rodriguez out of, the, out of their team. And there's, um, you lose the spark, you lose the energy. And that has always been a problem um, for me this season for, for Everton. Well done, Newcastle. They tried yeah. to win the game. Yeah, well done, Steve Bruce. He doesn't. We we don't say that enough on this show. <laughs> and uh, um, on loan goalkeeper uh, Olsen made his debut, Arvin, for Everton. Now, that's a big statement for for Jordan Pickford because many questions have been asked about young Jordan this season. Yeah, and I thought Olsen did well. He had a couple of good saves. Uh, he didn't the, the goals. He couldn't do anything to to stop those two goals that went against him. So Robin Olsen came in and he's an international. He's played with Ajax. He's got good experience. Uh, so Jordan has every reason to, to, to be worried. If you don't, if you don't perform and you're, and you're having the gaffes that you have, it's sometimes good to, to, to be taken out of the firing line and give yourself a little bit of time to regroup and get back to the level that is expected of you. But besides Richarlison as well as James Rodriguez, they were missing Luca Dean at left back, which is such an important yeah. creative outlook for them. Seamus Coleman is still out. They brought John Joe Kenny in. So it, it is very evident with this Everton squad when you have quite a few of those missing parts in it, uh, they struggle. Dominic Calvert-Lewin still scoring, so that's a good thing for them. Jilfie Sigurdsson seems to be a player that comes better off the bench these days rather than starting. So yeah, Everton, a uh, little bit more investment, which I'm sure Farhad Moshiri will be helping them out in the next window probably. Uh, but good start for them, but it's evident when you have these missing pieces for Everton, they will struggle. But I would keep a lookout. I think Olsen could start the next game instead of Pickford. All right, half time. Beep, beep, beep. We're going for a wee short break. Back right after this. Immediate thrust, recognizable certainty, and a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out, unchallenged, unmarked, makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. Des Corkill, Arvin Sidhu and Craig Wilkie joining me on this Monday evening to look at the weekend's football. As usual, you can tweet at BFM Radio. Also follow us on social media. It's BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Uh, and we have a YouTube channel up and running. Uh, it's TFIF on video. Do check it out and do give us a subscribe. Right, on with the football. Tottenham are up to second in the Premier League. 2-1 win over Brighton. Gareth Bale uh, scoring the winner. His first since, well, the last time he was there, what, 2013 or something like that? <laughs> Craig Wilkie. Are, are they are they proper title challengers, Jose's Spurs? Well, there, there's a question. I mean, I just said before that it's been one, it's been such a strange season, two, that we have this tendency to rush to judgment. But at the same time, given the way everything is going, early days though it may be, you would have to look at that Spurs squad and say, Yeah, they, they do have a chance. And if you if you look at if you judge them on the six or seven games that we've seen so far and you judge them against their peers up there, you would have to say that if you take that as a whole, Spurs have looked all right and arguably have looked better than, than some of the other contenders that you would, you would definitely talk about. I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for Gareth Bale. I know he, he's not certainly a figure who always gets too much sympathy given you know, the wages that he's on and all that kind of stuff. But I remember we had a conversation on this show a little while ago when he was still at Real Madrid and we were talking about you know, what has happened to Bale and will he ever be able to get his career back on track? And at the time we said, wouldn't it just be nice to see Gareth Bale back playing football with a smile on his face? 
And it was. And, it, and you could see how much it meant to him the other night that when, when he got that goal and he got that winner, that he was just happy to be playing football. And I you thought he won the else. World Cup with that celebration. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was quite excited about it. And so, and he's been, you know, he's been ushered in fairly gently so far. He hasn't actually had a lot of minutes on, on the park. So in terms of the return that he's made to, to Spurs, but he, he will come good. I have no doubt about that. And he will play an increasingly influential role for Spurs. And again, we're, we're talking about squad depth and the, the sort of challenges that squads might face over the course of the season. Spurs look like they'll, they'll still be around in that title race to me when we get into the new year and beyond. My goodness, it sounds like like Jose Mourinho des- deserves some plaudits here, Des Corkill. Um, yeah, yeah, he always has had them from from uh, this correspondent. I uh, I bemoan the fact he plays perhaps a little bit too defensively, but what he's done and what he's really got this year, and it, it was what makes Tottenham a difference, is the power in midfield of Musa Sissoko and Tange Ndombele. And if they add that power and Hoiberg just anchors the midfield, then they can release the likes of Harry Kane, Son, uh, Son uh, Bale, if he starts, etc. I do think there's this power base that you need um, to, to succeed at the top flight. And they've, they've got that uh, this season, Tottenham. And if, uh, if, if Jose Mourinho can just let them release them, let them fly just a little bit. I think uh, this is strong enough because they have got strength in depth, not a starting 11 strength, but players who can come on and make a difference if needed to. I mean, they had Bale coming on. Uh, they've got uh, Lo Celso. They've got, uh, who, who else was there? Um, Harry Vinicius Wings has, has made it. Lucas, Lucas Moura, etc. Yeah. So yeah. they've got players who can come in and, and make a contribution, but it's the power in midfield that to me is the difference for Tottenham this season. Pierre-Emile Hoiberg is such a Jose Mourinho player, isn't he, Arvid? <laughs> um, uh, all right, I mean, Brighton. Let's talk a little bit about Brighton. I, I, I think one of the bright prospects for Brighton has been their right-back, Tarek Lamptey. He's, he's been superb. He scored, and they've been unlucky, Brighton. You can see that they, they try and play every game, but they keep clocking up losses, though. Yeah, so this is the, the debate that we have of the need to entertain, which I agree these professionals are paid a lot of money and also the fact that it's a results-based business. It's a results-based business at the end of it. For, for Graham Potter, he's won four games out of 25. And as much as we talk about him being progressive and him doing all these wonderful things and he's making them do the right things, at the end of the day, in your job, if you don't deliver what you need to deliver, you're going to go down. And the, the rate that he is right now, he's doing a lot of things. Tarek Lampati is, is a bright spark for them. I thought Robert Sanchez that came in in goalkeeper yeah. was, was actually quite a, quite a different alternative than Matt Ryan. But Adam Lallana is not pulling any strings since he's got there. Putting Ben White in the centre of midfield gives you a sense that it doesn't get as fluent with Busuma. They don't have enough creativity in the centre of midfield. And you can't expect Neil Mopé to be scoring goals if you're not providing him the service that he needs. So again, with, with Brighton, we talk about this every, every time we're on the show. Good in possession, nice football, but if it doesn't get you anywhere, what really, what is the point, Graham Porter? Chris Hutton has a better win record than, than what Graham Porter did, and he, he got the job. So again, let's look at it from that perspective. Um, yeah, but, but Graham Porter, for me, as I'm saying, look at him in the bench, he just looks permanently confused and shocked at what's happening around him. I would say just start getting some wins, that's all. <laughs> he he looks like he wants to go and open up his garage that he runs his lockup and um, but oh, Des has to say something here because Des this is your classic need to entertain against let's be solid a la Burnley and, yeah and how guess do you who, uh, they, that guess, balance guess who Brighton play next Burnley <laughs> Burnley <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to this this is this is a moral imperative that Brighton come away with three points for me <laughs> otherwise the whole rationale of why I support football is doomed and smashed into smithereens on the floor come on Brighton and Hove Albion come on Graham Potter put Burnley to the sword please, please. Let, let me just add one thing to that Ross there's this myth that's developed that you Playing entertaining football comes at the expense of being solid and being sound defensively. And I don't think that that's the case at all. It's a, yeah, there's tactical decisions that people have to make. And some will undoubtedly err on the side of caution when it comes to that because they want to keep things tight and they feel that's the best way of getting results with whatever players they have at their disposal. But if you look at it even statistically, if you have the ball, you're under a lot less pressure defensively. And if you're, if you're, playing higher up in the opponent's half, for example, then you're under a lot less pressure defensively. So there are definitely ways in which you can play 
which is going to both entertain Des and hopefully get you a few wins along the way as well. So let, let's see which one comes out when uh, Burnley face <laughs> Brighton. Sod getting the wins. It's about entertaining Des, all right? <laughs> it's about value for money. If somebody pays you... If somebody pays you 150 million quid, you have a duty of care to entertain the public. You, you do say, have that because you your say. audience is now not the, your home fan. Your audience is now an international audience that is paying. And the reason why the super clubs are able to break away and suggest that a super league comes on is because the lower teams, the, the, the so-called Burnleys and the Brightons, have not entertained. You just need to look at the ratings of the big six compared to the others to see that the big six have got a, a huge moral argument in this that they are proper they are holding up the rest of the league so it's on the clubs it's in their own best interest to change the way they play all right elsewhere in the premier league there was a friday night game and wolves were very impressive 2-0 against crystal palace a win which moves them up to fifth quietly going along very nicely arvin wolves yeah they do and and we, we talked about how the Jorge Mendes Portugal revolution, they've, they've kind of gone about their business, not in the best of ways, which I agree. But along the way, they've actually picked up a couple of really good gems as well. Daniel Podence is showing to be able to be a replacement for Diego Jota. Ryan Aitnouri, uh, the youngster under 21 French international from Angus, his first senior goal. What a great left foot he has. Yeah. And and really, with, 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 with Wolves right now, three wins out of four. Uh, Max Kilman, I thought, is a really, really good addition at the back. I mean, I was looking at some of his previous clubs. He used to play for Marlow and Maidenhead United. I mean, for him to, to be realising the That's dream... That's proper Sunday League, League football. Proper Sunday, exactly. So, they, what Wolves do is they, they strike a balance. They, they go out and spend a lot of money on Nelson Semedo. But then they've got Max Kilman as well. And it works because Nuno gets the balance right. So, again... Um, for me, nothing but good things for, for, for Wolves going forward. Uh, I think there's still a little bit of over-reliance on, on, on Jimenez. They, they need to give him a bit more support. But otherwise, the, the squad is doing really good things again. I, I won't be surprised. Two, two top seven finishes uh, in the previous two seasons won't put me past me by if they get six or fifth this season. Oh, big shout there. All right. Uh, a solid away win for Man City, Des Corkill. Never thought I'd be saying that. Um, Sheffield boys scoring the goal, Kyle Walker against Sheffield United. Um, go on, in first Great strike all, it was as well. Re really good striker. Uh, he, he gets a lot of stick, does Kyle yeah. Walker, but he is one of those who likes to come forward. And he's he's caught it really well. You could see, you know, sometimes when guys don't celebrate, you you say, "Oh, why is he doing that?" But you could see that he he thought, "Oh my word, Sheffield United, you haven't got a point, you haven't got a chance. What have I done to you here?" <laughs> so there was a, a there was a little bit of a that in, in, in Walker. But I'm pleased for them. And I think um, Pep Guardiola has decided, hey, we've gone through a little bit of a blip. We just need to recalibrate like uh, Mikel Arteta is doing, except they're doing it while they're still trying to attack. They do miss a focal point, though. Even against a team as limited as Sheffield United, they miss that leader of the line. Not it. Uh, you know, just somebody, it's not holding the ball up in the old-fashioned way, but somebody who you know you'll get into, into the six-yard box because uh, best will in the world, if you don't have a striker who's going to be scoring you a, a number of goals, however good you are, you will struggle. Are they in danger, Craig Wilkie, Sheffield United? No, not for me. Really? I know, no. I know, I know the league position would tell you that they are right now. You can now. see them scoring goals. I can see them scoring goals. I can see them scoring enough goals. Let's put it that way. Okay. I, I if I look at the performance, I watched that game and first half, they weren't that great. And it, it seemed to me as though at halftime, Wilder probably said to them, hang on a minute, guys, you know, why are you showing them so much respect? Who and what are you in awe of here? You know, this wasn't a great city side producing a vintage performance. They were there to be got at a little bit. And that's what they did in the second half. And they, they created one or two chances were maybe slightly unfortunate, but they, they matched City for a lot of that second half and were, looked comfortable enough on the ball in midfield. They created one or two things. I know that it's been, there's that slightly difficult second season syndrome that they're going through, right? Mm -hmm. They won so, much, so many plaudits last year for the way that they played and some of the results that they achieved. And we know it's going to be more difficult this time around. But when I look at that squad overall, I know that goals might still be a challenge. And they've got Ollie McBurney up front, who I don't think he's ever scored a goal. <laughs> for, <laughs> Sheffield United or, or for Scotland, uh, but they, they do they do have some some talented players. So I I think they will be one of those sides who, although they're in some difficulty right now, I think they'll get themselves out of it. 
who would have thought a Scotsman championing the underdog? Eh? Eh? Who would have thought? Um, <laughs> final break. Stick with us. Uh, talk about the midweek football right after this. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. For their season off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back. Back with Des Colkill, back with Arvin Sidhu, back with Craig Wilkie. Once again, you can tweet at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media, BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel, TFIF on Video. Two more Premier League matches to look at this evening. Um... Massive game, this one at the bottom of the table. Fulham versus West Brom. Uh, I don't know which one is is less entertaining to to Des Corkill, but if either team has any aspirations of of being a Premier League side, I mean, I'm looking at Scott Parker here, especially. This is a game you have to win. You're at home here, right, Des? Yeah, I I think Fulham have tried to play the game the right way. They they just uh, haven't produced any kind of results. West Brom... If they start to believe in themselves, if they get rid of this ridiculous five at the back, it's not three at the back, it's five at the back, then throw not throw caution to the wind, but quite rightly, as Craig Wilkie said, a lot of sense from the Scotsman there. You can have solid defence and try and attack and try and win games. And if you've got one point after six games or three points after six games, as West Brom do, you may as well have a go. You yeah. may as well change the way you are playing because you're not going to avoid relegation by picking up a point here and a point there. You may as well go and try and get three points. You may as well lose three points, but go out and have a go. Have a, uh, have, have a dash. Yeah, is it, is it a relegation battle already? Yes, it is. I think if Fulham lose this, then they become demoralised. If West Brom lose this, then they're sucked right back into that relegation problem. So in terms of uh, mentality, bit, a bit, big match. But, but Fulham have tried to play and... I'm, I'm fine with that. I am. I'm not sure Fulham fans are, but I am. That's that's all that matters. Uh, 1.30 a.m. kickoff, Fulham versus West Bromwich Albion. Uh, Leeds United versus Leicester City already sounds like it's going to be an eight-goal thriller. I don't know come about on, you. Tuesday, 4 a.m. this one. Got to come to you first, Arvin. Your, your Leeds United are at home. They've been great this season. Uh, we, we can see now what Bielsa is all about, or all, all the naysayers. I think even like Von Lohor is is on, on side now. <laughs> Good, uh, big game. Do, do you need to keep winning here? Uh, or can Leicester? You, Leicester are the, the perfect bandits, aren't they? They, they, do, they do nick one away from home. And they, this is the kind of game that's Leicester set up. It's, it's so finely balanced. I mean, you've got one team that outruns every other Premier League team, which is Leeds. Leeds outrun everyone else. And then you've got another team who counterattacks. I struggle to think maybe Liverpool, but Leicester are really good at counterattacking. And interestingly enough, when Leeds got relegated in 2004, Leicester were one of the teams that's gone down with them, with, along with Wolves. So it's nice that they're, they're meeting in the Premier League since 2004. It's been too long. Uh, but yeah, I mean, sleep through... Uh, Fulham and West Brom, wake up for this one. It'll be well worth your time. I, w- I can definitely guarantee you on that. It's just going to be an exciting prospect. Li- Liam Cooper, Liam Cooper coming goals, back yeah. for Leeds is massive, right? Having, oh, I say massive because he's the captain, but you guys have coped all right without him. Yeah, uh, Liam Cooper will come back in to partner Robin Koch in, in the centre of defence. The, the, the key will be for Leeds for the next couple of weeks and upon after the international break is who do you bring in for Calvin Phillips? With Calvin being out in the last game with Villa, he bought Pascal Struic in. Struic got a yellow card and Bielsa, masterclass, 20 minutes, pulls him off, puts Jamie Shackleton in, runs the entire midfield. So Bielsa is not afraid to make changes at an early part of the game and he will do it again. Uh, but yeah, um, the, the one thing about Leeds going into this is that Leicester have got a lot of injuries. I mean, so Yunchu and Didi, Amate, Pereira. I even hear Timothy Castan is out right now. So it's a team that is beset by injuries, but let's not forget Leicester have defeated Man City and Arsenal this season, so they're not to be taken lightly, but it's going to be an exciting game. I would recommend anyone to wake up to watch it. Des would get his value for money. I that, that's Yeah, we're going to get a word from Des here, because Des, these are two sides who actually go out and try and play football. Fabulous. <laughs> it's going to be nil-nil, isn't it? 
set up for a 4 a.m. goalless draw. Absolutely. A quick look at the Champions League uh, midweek. Uh, Man City are in action on Wednesday morning at 4 a.m. They're in Group C. They're doing very well. Two wins out of two. Three points ahead of Porto. They're at home to Olympiacos, Craig Wilkie. Now, you get the feeling that, that Pep is, is taking this one a bit more seriously than the Premier League because he's been there, done it. Bought the T-shirt with the other one. Well, he should. But let me ask a question. At this stage and for a game like this, does anybody really care? Honestly, I mean, you, you look at those groups, all the English sides are comfortably top of their group. We know yeah, but, but one more will solidify qualification, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Of, of course, but are, are, you, are you honestly suggesting that any of them are not going to qualify from the group stage? Of course they will. All four will. And City especially comfortably. And I know in the past they've had some challenges with trying to get fans in for some of those games if it's not the big glamour ties. Obviously, that problem is taken away right now because fans are not allowed to attend. But So yes, whilst Pep is going to prioritise it and he's going to make sure that the focus is on the Champions League overall because that's the one that they really want to win. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you see this week a lot of players rested, the squad given a bit more of a run out because even I, I, I expect City to win irrespective. Whatever team they put out, I think they'll win that game and I think they will qualify from that group. So given the rigours that they know they're going to face this season and some of the demands in the Premier League, I think they'll take this as a game that they just need to get through and they'll maybe try and give, give an opportunity to some players on the fringe and move on after that. And I think that will be the case across a number of the English sides this, this midweek. Yeah, they've got a big one against Liverpool midweek uh, at the end of the week. So I would imagine, I'm completely with Craig on this one, they will rest players for this one. Uh, they've already got two wins in the bag. Going away and winning away at Marseille was, was, a, was quite a mean feat. Uh, so Pep has improved recently and especially in Europe. So uh, I would expect wholesale changes on this one. Probably to give guys like Kevin De Bruyne and Laporte a little bit more time to get to their fitness level that they need to for the big game. All right. Also kicking off uh, Wednesday 4 a.m. in Group D, Atalanta against Liverpool. Atalanta were great fun in the Champions League last season. They started terribly, I remember, not winning their first three games. Uh, two played this season, and they've already got four points on the board. Uh, is this going to be a difficult game with, with that makeshift, makeshift defence, Des Corkill, for Liverpool? Never mind the makeshift defence. It's a horrendously difficult game already. I, I think Atalanta are the epitome of what I've been preaching. They, they go and have a go. They've changed the perception of Italian football. They can score four and five against the big boys, but they've also got the ability to concede goals as well. It could be another 7-2 if Liverpool aren't careful, but it could go either way. Um, so yeah, this could be... This could be Great fun. Really looking forward to this. When the draw came out, this was the one game uh, based upon what Atalanta did last year that I was really looking forward to, to, to getting up at four o'clock or some godforsaken time in the morning uh, to watch a Champions League game. I'll be up for this one. 4am Wednesday morning, Atalanta against Liverpool. Uh, Man United are away in Turkey in Group H. Istanbul against Man United is, a, is an early Thursday kickoff. 1.55am. If we revert to form book here, Craig Wilkie, a loss in the league means a, a superb win in the Champions League, no? <laughs> Almost certainly. <Yeah>. Back, <laughs> five, back five, Pogba on the bench, everybody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, again, I, I go back to my earlier point. I think this should be a relatively comfortable game for Manchester United. I, I don't see them losing it. I think they'd be happy enough to come back with a point in the context of the group. I don't think it would trouble them too much. Again, there'll be, and we do have to bear in mind for managers that although they always say, you know, we, look, we only look one game ahead, we've got to concentrate on whatever fixtures in front of us, they do have to manage their squads over the course of a long and demanding season. They do have to look a little bit ahead. To, as Arvin mentioned, the games coming up at the weekend, or even the fact that, you know, Champions League is being played pretty much every week right yeah. now. So there, there are some demands on those squads that the managers are going to have to just, you know, be a little bit careful in terms of, of how they get them through it. But I don't see any major issues for Manchester United in this one, particularly. All right. Uh, Chelsea uh, host Rennes in, in Group E. Chelsea and Sevilla on four points after two matches. Um, another win will, will mark Lampard's progression here, Arvin, with this Chelsea side. And you expect them to win this, don't you? I can see Timo Werner on the score sheet already. Yeah. Uh, Hakim Ziyech to continue playing. I think he's been 
absolutely amazing since he's come back from his injury. Uh, but yeah, with, with Chelsea, it's the depth, really. We talked about it earlier. When you have someone like Christian Pulisic pull an injury during warm-up and you can bring Timo Werner off the bench, that kind of shows you the, the strength and depth that the squad has. Our runs are, haven't, haven't been great in League One. I think they won one in six over the weekend. They came from behind. So they don't have league form with them. They, they've struggled in the Champions League. So pretty straightforward one for this one for Chelsea to get the win in my opinion. All right, in the Europa Spurs, our way at Ludogorets in Group J. Arsenal hosts another Ole side in Molde in Group B on Friday. And it's Leicester against Sporting Braga in Group G of the Europa League. Uh, Des Corkill, what's happening in the Malaysia Cup? I believe the draw's been made. When did the games all kick off? Yeah, the TM uh, Piala Malaysia has uh, it's very exciting. I'm excited by this because it's a straight knockout. So the top six teams in the Super League and the top two in the Premier League, uh, that's Penang and Kuala Lumpur, get home draws and uh, they're drawn against the, the other co- competitors. Sabah, due to COVID-19 reasons, uh, reasons, unable to travel. So they were not involved in the draw. So whoever drew Sabah got a bye. Kuala Lumpur got a bye. But some cracking matches. Little Kuching, they go to JDT. A Kedah versus Pahang, because Pahang weren't in the top six. So Kedah... Can I just jump in here, Des? Can I just jump? Is it extra time and penalties, seeing as they're just one-off matches? One-off matches, extra time and penalties. There must be a winner on the night. Penang against Felder. Perak versus Kelantan United. Uh, 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 Craig will love to see that Tringano are coming against PJ City. We'll try to kick lumps out of the pretty boys from Tringano. That'll be fun. (laughs) Lango versus... Uh, Salango versus Malacca taking place at Hang Jebat. No games obviously allowed in the Klang Valley. So Salango are moving to Hang Jebat in Malacca to take on Malacca. That could be fun. And then UITM, the surprise package, they take on Kalantan. They're playing at Manjung. Those games over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the quarterfinals are next week. And the draw has already been made for that. So, so we can almost chart our way towards the final. Not going to make any predictions, though. <laughs> by JDT uh, brilliant stuff so there you go then uh, that's your Monday Night Football I've got to say thank you to Craig Wilkie thank you very much enjoy the week everyone thank you to Arvin Sidhu thank you everyone enjoy football every night of the week indeed and thank you Des Gorgil I hope that unlike some Premier League teams I do give value for money have a great week everybody stay safe stay home mask up do everything you have to spot your Friday bye now off the ball every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.